Hello, and welcome to VentureCast. I am David Hornick from August Capital. And this is Howard Hartenbaum, also from August Capital. And there you have it. You know where we're from? August Capital. People often people often say, "Yeah, that that venture cash show." I said, "Oh, you mean the David Hornick show with Sidekick Howard Hartenbaum?" No, you can't say that anymore because you, I think if we measured the airtime, I only have sixty percent. <laughs> I was going to say if this was actually real time or we had enough listeners to make data bets on it, we would see that when you talk, people pay attention. When I talk, they start typing emails. Yeah, but I've said this before. Howard, uh, um, our, our partner Trip, went back and listened to old ones and was like, "Oh, Howard really was insightful." And I was like, "Well." I was on those shows, too. He's like, yeah, well, like I said, Howard was insightful. I think what he meant was I'll make some (laughs) controversial comment that makes you think, well, that guy's an ass. (laughs) I mean, it makes you think. Oh, well. So I just pulled up this list. I I was looking there. The information, the future list, someone went through. uh, They worked with Social Plus Capital to... um, to pull together a list of the investment funds and they ranked them on gender score, ethnicity score, and age score. So interestingly, they did a thing where they tracked kind of returns based on age cohort. And it's kind of, I suppose it's not that surprising, but it's kind of a parabola, right? Where the young, really young investors tend not to have the biggest returns and the really old investors tend not to have the biggest returns. And the big returns sort of what do you think? Where do you, where do you think the age peak is from a, from a return standpoint? Thirty eight. Somewhere in there, it's kind of mid thirties to mid forties. So from four, 35 to forty five, you're kind of you know you're in your prime. Uh, what's your sexual prime? Do they? <laughs> are they I think the if same? they say if you're a man, it's like eighteen, and if you're a woman, it's like twenty nine. Oh, so either way, we're screwed. All right, well, so it's way better in that regard. Uh, I think the whole the data is so hard. I mean, we were talking with one of our LPs before where they were commenting on how attribution is basically impossible. And who found Facebook for, and, and got Axel into that deal? Totally not. I mean, some people will say one thing, some people yeah. will say another. I'm not going to guess what it was. I mean, I know the various stories that I heard. But it's, I mean, that's just one example. I think in many cases, you know, um, somebody brings in a great deal, a partnership does it, and then somebody who didn't find the deal or really even get it gets all the credit for it. So, yeah. Well, I think the whole, I mean, anyway, these these rankings are always kind of interesting and but like I say, they they have a gender score, an ethnicity score, an age score, and uh, and first first best ranked venture firm includes Super Angels. Who do you think? Age, gender, ethnicity, including only general partners, or including everybody at the firm. I don't. I think it must include everybody, because otherwise, that's my guess. Is any investment professional was my guess. Um. Probably a big firm. Google Ventures? No, Floodgate. So I guess Mike Maples is the only old white dude, <laughs> and everybody else is, you know, then it's Ann and others. But yeah, Floodgate, then Cowboy Ventures, then Felicis, then Social Plus Capital Fourth. Um, it's just an interesting, I mean, you know, look, 
in the end, you kind of look at it and say, okay, do these things, is there a direct correlation between diversity of age and gender and, and et cetera and, and outcomes? And, you know, not necessarily, although there's some, you know, there's some good, good measures. Google Ventures is 19th, by the way, not, uh, uh, but better than we are. We're down in the 60s or something. That's because what? We have five uh, general partners. We have seven, eight investment professionals, if you include AB. AB should have brought our average down like 10 years. He helped us. In fact, I bet you he's not in this data from an age perspective. We should that move to like 60. That could have bumped us to like 40 because AB's, you know, 12 or something. We have one non, you know, non-Caucasian guy, Vivek. The rest of us are basically middle-aged men. And, you know, I, I mean, Chamath and, and, and Shruti in, in, uh, in Social Plus Capital had posted this, and I kind of, and, and it said, you know, bros investing in bros, and I commented on the thing and said, look, I've, I am a bro, and I am a man, but I think that I don't act are like Are you asserting bro, that? Right? Yeah, I, let me just say, for the record, I have a penis. If that is the measure. If there's any other measure, I can't speak for certain. So that's a really interesting, you know, the, what is the measure? Because sometimes there's like, you know, people who have um, had a gender change and they're Olympic athletes or they have, you know, different chromosome mixes and and people are arguing like who is who. As a member of the GLAD board, I understand this this issue a great deal. I think it's fascinating. On the other hand, it has no bearing on the venture business. No, no, because you just said the definition was you had a penis. No, I'm just saying, like, in, okay. in this context, if the de- definition of man in the venture business is having a penis, I am a man. On the other hand, I don't think This I'm is your legal bro-ish. background. <laughs> I don't think I'm, like, terribly, like, bro-ish, you know, and that's... And then you certainly aren't. Like, you, you know, you're not, like, oh, high-fiving people, fist-bumping. Maybe that's the measure. I think we should measure... Because I'm a hugger, and I feel like if you're hugging, you know, hugging people when they come to meet with you, that that should exclude you. That should be a different part of the spectrum than the fist bump, right? There's the there's the handshake that's kind of in the middle. There's the hug, and there's the fist bump on the other end. And I think that would be a more interesting measure. I am most definitely not a hugger, but one of my <laughs> companies, one of my companies, the CEO is having a little bit of challenges and feels kind of beat up, and I gave him a hug and. He didn't like it. <laughs> I can say I didn't like it either. But, but you thought I, it was the right thing I to thought do. it was the right thing to do, you know, and I, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, Howard, I know you're not a hunter. We had a meeting the other day. This was hilarious. So we had a meeting, and it was this uh, 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 female entrepreneur who I have met before who is very warm, and I, and, and I went to say hello to her, and went to shake her hand and she went to hug me and I said oh great I'm a hugger that's excellent right uh, and she had with her her co-founder who was a very large man who I had never met before and so then when I went to meet him and she said oh this is my co-founder then I gave him a hug because I said oh I just gave you a hug it'd be weird to shake your hand but what was awesome is he like, gave me a big bear hug like okay I'm in so then I come back around the table and Howard says make some comment like oh yeah Dave and I hug every day or something. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Howard. I forgot our hug today. And I hugged him. And he was like, oh, get off of me. (laughs) He was like, that was a joke. Don't touch me. (laughs) My mother told me that when I was a baby, I didn't like to be held. (laughs) 
So it's something that's been my entire oh, life. It's totally like either. most babies cry and you pick them up. My mom said if I wasn't crying, if she picked me up, I would cry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nothing that's. I got it I backwards. I didn't treat it as a as an offense. I just yeah. thought it was funny because it was like you know that was a joke, David. Step away. Yeah. But I but you know I think that isn't it, the hug culture is interesting, right? I mean. You know, Bill Campbell, the coach who is this incredible force in in Silicon Valley, has been the coach, the like personal coach to many of the most important business people in Silicon Valley. Is a hugger. He is like he comes and he sees you and gives you a big hug. And I have to say, like the first couple of meetings, I I'm, I'm, I share a board with him now. And the first couple of meetings that I went to with him, where. He shook my hand, like hugged people, and then shook my hand. I felt very sad. <laughs> like, in all fairness, he didn't know who I was. He didn't know me, but I was like, I don't get a hug. I want to. Did I you wanna, actually say that? I want to. No. Like, so you should wear like a little pin next time, hugging accepted that, or something. It I'm was, a hugger. It was all good because then then Bill and I got to know each other, and that and then I got a hug, and I actually after the board meeting where I got a hug from Bill Campbell, I called my wife. <laughs> It said, oh, I got a, I got a hug from Campbell. And she was like, oh, David. So as you know, I lived in Luxembourg for a while. And Luxembourg is like, the population is like half French and half German. So you never know who to kiss and who not to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> and regularly people would come up and I'm not a hugger. And they start kissing me. And I'm, okay. Is that better, like the kiss I, on I, the cheek than the hug? Because actually it's less intrusive. It's just, I don't know when. <laughs> That's so the answer is no. Like, you don't want to be hugged. You know, you some complete stranger. And the guy introduces me to his wife, and she's trying to kiss me, and I'm like, whoa. It's this really is kind odd. of a cheek touch. It's not like a big kiss or anything. You no. Know, anyway. Actually, the other thing is, so I was talking to Munjal Shah at our. We had the August Daniel, which is our kind of party for friends of the firm or whatever, right? And he was dressed nicely, I'm sure. Munjal's always dressed nicely, although usually he's wearing a, shirt, a tight enough shirt to know that he's so we can all know that he's in way better shape than we are. Which, uh, you know, if I if I had his chest, maybe I'd wear his shirt. But if you if I wore that shirt with my chest, we'd be like, oh my God, could you please wear a loser shirt? Um, but anyway, so uh, Munjal, we were chatting about this and I was going on about hugging because that's something I do. And Munjal said that if you hug someone for 10 seconds, 10 seconds, the research shows that it creates this experience where you let out these uh, endorphins. I like endorphins. Right. So if you hug someone for 10 seconds, it will produce this endorphin rush and that that's a good thing. I All said, right, let's try it right now. I said, but I said <laughs> we were at the party. I said, good job, but that 10 seconds is a long time. He said, I know. And then I started hugging him. I said, well, let's check that out. So I started hugging him. I said, one, two. You didn't make it, did you? I did, totally did, but it was very awkward. He was like, you know, by seven? It's a long time. That's a long hug. And people are sitting there like going, what do we do? Munjal and David are sitting here hugging for 10 seconds. I'm going to hug everybody I meet today for 10 seconds and see what happens. There's zero chance you're going to do that. There's zero chance. I mean, it would be amazing, but there's zero chance you're going to do that. Yeah, that's true. But I, but I, 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 sh- I should hug someone today for ten seconds. That's- I'm gonna try and hug my daughter for ten seconds. I bet she can't make it. She won't make it. But do yeah. that. She'll be like three seconds, and I'm out of yeah. here. She like and leans she- over. She's shorter than me, but she leans over, so like she's barely touching me so when she hugs me. Yeah, like, oh. 
Do you, now, if yeah, you it, now the question is, do you tell her in advance? Oh, no. I heard you're just gonna like, honey, how are you? It's been a long day. How are you? Give her a big hug. Even better, I will try and hug my wife for ten seconds. Yeah, see, even that, like, and that would you'd think, oh, that's totally fair game. Like, you know, we're hmm. we're in love and all that business. That's a long time though. <laughs> She's gonna go. What are you doing? Why are you touching me? Yeah. So I have a drop cam in my house. Oh, oh, good. Drop cam. So I was going to ask. <laughs> good transition out. <laughs> yeah, I can talk for the rest of this. this about hugging. About hugging. No, I was going to say, I was in my dro- looking at my drop cam. My wife was hugging somebody. I couldn't quite yeah. see you. No. <laughs> and it is neat. No. The uses you get for it that you didn't really think about. Like, I have it and I have it running. And my wife and I will go out to breakfast on Sunday. And we'll be at the at the bakery, and my wife will be like, "Oh, should we bring something home for the kid?" I'm like, well, "Well, let's see if she's up." And I'll whip it out, and I'll just look for motion going past me. No, she's still asleep, so she hasn't eaten breakfast. And then we'll bring her something home, or she's walked by it and she's gone to the kitchen. She's already eaten. Yeah, already. And so something reports, as simple as that. Reports motion. So it'll well, you just look at the history, and if there's any motion, it will have a you know, frame from that, so you can say, okay, she's up, and then like she's eaten, and you don't need to bring her. So something as simple as, do you buy her breakfast and bring it home? You don't want to call and wake her up, but you yeah. can get something. She walked by the can, and it's really a nice thing to have. So this, so this is so. Uh, I, I, you raise this in part because I said to you, oh, "I want, I need to, I need to have this question because I want to yeah. put in a webcam, and I, I, I'm, I'm kind of remodeling, and I have this conversation with the the, remo- the people who are doing the remodeling, and they're like putting in wires, and I said, oh, no, all I need is a plug, like just like a little shelf and a plug. Like, no, no, you should get a camera that is integrated into the roof, and we can whatever to look sleeker or whatever. And that just seems like the wrong choice to me because if you just think what's happened in the last five years in terms of webcams. Don't you think I'd just rather have a plug and Wi-Fi, like the capacity to plug the thing in and Wi-Fi, and the rest? And I mean, how and you do have it on a shelf, or where you like? How do you? I have this is one you're talking about outside your house. I have no one. inside. I just inside. Wanna, like, I just it. have it on a shelf, and there's a plug there, and I just put it on there, and it's great. And sometimes I want to move it to a different place. I only have one. I've thought about maybe getting another one. The only time I would argue you may want to hardwire something, you may want to. If you want to put one outside, like aiming, you know, at the front yeah. step, you may still want a Wi-Fi camera. You just may want to hard- hardwire the power into the wall, so somebody can't unplug it and steal it. Yeah. So easily. So are they battery? Do they have battery operated? As yeah, there's ones that are battery operated. That I can just throw up there yeah. and don't worry about it. Yep. My I don't like batteries because I forget about them. Um, yeah, that they I just go figured out. I would put it in a plug, but but what I'm hearing is oh that'll look ugly and blah. So is drop no, uh, drop cam is that your recommendation? Have I you use drop cam stuff, right? and there's a there's a ton of others. I would just say that I have a Nest and drop cam is integrated nicely with that. The app is a little bit slow. I would say at a high level on wiring stuff. If you go back and watch a science fiction movie from six years ago and they had all this really cool stuff. Like it's self-driving cars, doofy. it's already doofy. <laughs> so that's only you know six or seven years. I would say everything is moving so fast right now. I have hardwired Ethernet in my entire house, like totally unnecessary. Like yeah, things are moving. That is my sense as well. Like yeah, I like simplicity in design, and wireless makes for a lot of simplicity. I think there's no need to to do all sorts of wiring. Yeah. All right. Drop cam. 
Does it have, does it have a base that I could just like attach to the ceiling so yep. it's just pointing out? Maybe yep. I could do, maybe that's what I do. It's just like stick yep. it up. I mean, the point is just to have something so that if we're out of town or whatever, then you get an alert. What do you pay? You pay like a subscription fee and then it. So there's different ones. Dropcam is like a hundred bucks a year to get the alerts and have it recorded and stuck in the cloud. There are other cameras that you can buy where you don't have to pay anything per year. It's just you don't get much recording or you don't get cloud-based recording or you don't get alerts or you do get alerts. In terms of ease of setup, if you're willing to pay a hundred bucks a year to drop cam, it's really it's easy. It's really easy That's to set up. But a hundred bucks a year adds up. I've already had it for a few years, and it just that's a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, and yeah. you know, I pay like ninety percent tax rate, so that's like a thousand a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you pay. That's right. Somehow you've ended up in a tax bracket, and no one else. You know, there are people who pay more in taxes than they make based on like real estate business that they're in. There are crazy tax laws. If if yeah, you'd have to yeah. you have to work hard at it. By the way, speaking of politics, do you know who? Uh, do you know who? Um, Speaking of politics, <laughs> do you know who's here with the president on Saturday at a fundraiser? Kanye West. That's it. That's the double bill. Obama and Kanye. I spent the whole ride this morning listening to John McCain yell and scream about Obama pulling the troops out of Iraq. Then they changed the station. <laughs> he said, "What else do we have? Let's listen to something else." You know what I've been listening to? I've been listening to politics a ton. But very specific politics. I've been listening to the soundtrack for Hamilton, the musical. It is unbelievable. I know this has nothing to do with venture cast in any way, but it is the greatest show that's been written probably in our lifetime. And this is one you invested in? No, I wish. I tried to, actually. <laughs> just want to be, I, tried I just to. want to clarify here. No, I tried to. I tried to invest in it, and they were like, we don't need your money. You know what I did invest in? <laughs> I put a small amount of money in the current Spring Awakening on Broadway. So they did a revival of Spring Awakening. Only what's interesting about it is it's with this group called Deaf West Theater. It's literally a deaf theater. And so every character has a sign la signing deaf actor and a singing hearing actor. And... And they don't bump into each other on stage. They, they, they can see... <laughs> it's not a sighted problem. It's a, no, I'm just talking about the crowd on the stage. It turns out it's super interesting. It creates this very compelling experience. But it's kind of interesting, right? Because here's music and dance, whatever, and half the cast can't hear the music. They have to feel it, and they have you know signals. And But it turns out super compelling show. Uh, New York Times, thankfully, just gave it an awesome review. So it is very possible that I will only lose some of my money <laughs> instead of all of my money. <laughs> That's a different type of investing paradigm. Yeah. I my, my view of my view, I've invested in a small number of shows on Broadway. My view I treat it in the same way that I treat uh, giving money to causes I think are important. Like this is a show that I think should be on Broadway. I'm excited to support it. If it ends up making money, that's fantastic. If it doesn't, I'm still excited. But go see it. <laughs> That'll be great. Because you haven't made all your money back yet. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know if I've made any of my money back at this point, but it's a yeah. great show. So there's the, the topic uh, around here and all these very apparently very high-priced um, funding rounds that happen here. And there's not a lot of data available on the companies and very smart investors or apparently very smart investors put money into companies at very high price. And the interesting part is 
despite their intelligence, some of these companies then exit for much lower a price than their most recent yeah. private financing. And we've joked about calling this an illiquidity premium, <laughs> where you have a very small number of people with access to a company, and they're so excited about the company but not anybody, not just anybody can get in. You have to be one of these very small group of people. And they bid the price up to an incredibly high price, which later has proven to be too high a price. So, so just, to, I mean, just to give context to why I think that, you know, this is, Howard used this phrase the other day in our partner meeting, and it's been making me laugh ever since, this idea that there's an illiquidity premium. Because the it used to be an illiquidity discount. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Like, what people don't understand is that the, that what happens in you know, in, in private deals and whatever is that if if the, the, the currency that you're getting in exchange for something is not liquid and therefore you have to figure out what happens over time, usually you get a discount to reflect that illiquidity. So but there's a risk it may never yeah, become liquid. Right. So it may not become liquid, whatever, and so the price is lower. And yet we have all these illiquid companies that are getting done at these crazy high prices that Howard now calls the illiquidity premium, which is completely accurate and so fucked up that it's hilarious. Dude. And some of them prove out to be okay over time. Sure, right? I mean, it may But some of them... Yeah, not so much, right? So Pure Storage went uh, went public today. Pure has had a lot of attention, a lot of excitement. My understanding is that its last private round got done at something like a $5 billion valuation. The company went public today at a $3 billion valuation and has, at least in the early trading, traded down. And so if it trades down a little bit, it basically trades down to about half the price of the last round of financing. Now, the theory in these companies often is, well, I can put it in a very high price because I have preference and it protects me. And so even if I put money in at a high price, I'll get my money back out because I get the first money out. Until you're converted to common. Until you go public. When you go public, Everyone takes their shares and converts to common, and it doesn't matter when you bought your shares. You get one share of stock as one share of stock. And so these folks who put money at a $5 billion value got one share of stock. Now, maybe they had some kind of ratchet or whatever that readjusted their price. I have no idea. But if not, then currently they've lost half the value of their investment. That's a... And, Look, and this is going to happen, right? I mean, not to be to be mean spirited. When I started talking about things we could talk about with Howard before we started the thing, Howard said, "Let's talk about happy things, whatever." But um, we have uh, uh, what the heck? What's the one with the elephant? The note-taking thing. Evernote. Evernote. Evernote was looking like this astonishing juggernaut of a business. It was growing quickly, although it was a freemium model, and it got, and got funded at very high prices. And now, of course, on the web is conversations. The, the founder and CEO has stepped down. They're bringing a new CEO. They closed some offices. They're restructuring because it's a hard. It turns out it's hard. Similar scuttlebutt about other businesses. So. Um, Look, this is just how it goes. Our business is about investing in things. It is risk capital. It should be risky. I think people have lost that sense. But like, why invest at these crazy high prices? And I guess it's because every so often it is Uber. It is Facebook. And it turns out that your $20 billion valuation makes you 5x. Or, or the $500 million funding valuation in 
Instagram four days before it got acquired by Facebook for a billion and turned out to be an incredible bargain for Facebook in the process. Yeah, I mean, that's so tricky, right? It's like, okay, someone invested in what looked like a high price, they instantly doubled their money, which probably was not what they had hoped for, and then... But I'll take it. And then everybody's like, oh my God, can you believe Facebook paid a billion dollars? The company was only had 13 employees. It was only a handful of years old. Amazing. Like, what an incredible outcome. And then the next deal they do is WhatsApp for $19 billion, And everybody's like, oh man, what a ripoff to those founders that Instagram only sold, sold for a billion, billion dollars, right? Like, oh my God, I can't believe that. And, by the way... So it was just the fifth anniversary of Instagram. That looks like it's going to be one of the greatest deals that any company has ever done. It is. It ha- I forget how many tens of millions of users it has. It's incredibly engaging. My understanding is that they're monetizing it now. Like it's a. It was a great, great acquisition. But the thirteen people in that company who sold should not be sad. Like they, the founders made more money than they can ever spend. So yeah, made, they didn't make nineteen billion, but like, look, it's okay. Well, YouTube's another example. Amazing example. Like you know, it was sold for a billion six. Everyone thought it was this incredible outcome. Now, on the one hand, at the time it was, it was quite early, and they had I forget hundred million in debt, and they were about to take on another some number of millions of dollars. Getting whatever. sued and yeah. copyright issues. They and were yeah, they yeah. were like I, they if they didn't sell, I think they had to raise like five hundred million dollars just to stay alive. They sell it for a billion six, I think. And it's got to be worth fifty billion now. Yeah, it's a, it, it is one of the best acquisitions that's ever happened. It is truly dominant. It's changed the nature of video. It's changed the nature of media consumption. It has been extraordinarily well monetized. I don't know how much money Google put into it to fix it to pay off the the you know the lawsuits and all that. I mean, I think it was hundreds of millions of dollars. But I think it is a very fair bet that the YouTube acquisition was one of the greatest acquisitions that's ever happened in tech. And you know, so many acquisitions don't work out. It is really neat when an acquisition does work really well. Well, we need it to happen, right, in venture, because we want people to keep buying our companies. <laughs> you know, um, Flurry's acquisition at Yahoo seems like it's quite a big success. That uh, there's kind of, I'll leave the numbers out, but we'll say many multiples of their revenue when they were acquired a year ago have it gro- and it's growing really fast and the three kind of remind me what flurry does but flurry was a mobile analytics company uh, that then enab- enabled app marketing which yeah. apps people should buy not you know people who bought this bought this but just trying to figure out what apps would be a good fit for you and it's a it's a great business very high margin doing great for yahoo and the team that came in there too if you look at who are kind of the three Folks running the different segments of, you know, at the SVP level at Yahoo now, there's Simon Kalaf, who is the CEO of Flurry. He's now running um, publishing and mobile. And Prashant Faloria, who was his number two at, at Flurry, is now running the ad business at Yahoo. And then the other one is, um, but not from Flurry, is Jeff Bonforte running communications, including mail. Yep. I think that's how it yep. breaks out. So here they had this mo- you know modest acquisition of 300ish million dollars and the business has gone skyrocketed with Yahoo's participation and two the two guys from Flurry are now like two of the main guys running 
the important parts of, of Yahoo and it made me feel good because um, when I, I had done the Series A, it was actually a different business before. It was it was uh, enabling flurry mail on feature phones before iPhone was invented. Right. Yes. And it pivoted into something else under the great guidance of Simon and built a great company. Um, but it got bought and then it was a really valued company later. I've ha had the experience of selling some companies that didn't work out so good and um, you know, not to, to diss, let's, we'll pick Photobucket. That one sold to Fox Interactive Media. Photobucket was basically providing all of the pictures that were on MySpace and it got spun out soon after for pennies on the dollar, which was kind of sad because... Yeah, that was, I mean, it, it, it's true, but that was a very specific set of circumstances. They bought it because they needed to defend MySpace, then MySpace had this big shift, and... But you're right, okay. I mean, look, yeah. there are okay, lots Bebo of Okay, Bebo and AOL. But there are lots of, yeah, I mean, well, good know. Lord, right? But there are lots of instances. Yeah. But I agree with you. So we, you know, we sold uh, PayCycle, the online payroll company doing to it, and similarly, Just has done great stuff for them. Hundreds of thousands of customers is producing a ton of revenue. They definitely paid less than the value that they got from it, which, you know, total, look, in the end, I think that's great. I think it was a good acquisition. It was great for, great for the company. Uh, now we're investors in Renee LeCert's new company, Bill.com, and, you know, I think that Intuit will have to pay more. <laughs> when they get around to it, when they wake up and go, boy, we really should own Bill.com, uh, it won't be $200 million. That will not be the deal. They got to pay up. Because it's worth know. so much. Exactly. I well, love yeah. that company. It's awesome. I had, actually, I was just talking to someone who is, uh, you, you know, anyone who has a startup, frankly, that's more than a handful of people, if you're not using Bill.com, you're out of your mind. Because it basically manages all the accounts payable, receivable, and allows you to do electronic bill pay for your business in the same way you do for your for your personal stuff. And it saves you so much time. It's like, you know, I'm amazed that people are still writing checks. It is the stupidest thing. Who write like, can you imagine that the typical stupid small business is still writing by hand dozens of checks a month? Bill.com. Go to Bill.com. B-I-L-L dot com. That's right. That's pay, our, pay your bills electronically. Oh, this is... So, my, my wife is actually quite pissed at me, Howard. I get what's an email. new? Yeah. I get an email from Renee, who run, runs Bill.com. Their biggest... Their kind of big uh, accountant conference is coming up. Says David, they would like us to do a th uh, have a conversation at the accounting conference. Can will you participate? Say yes, of course I'm happy to participate. So here's why she's annoyed. It's in the Bahamas. Now, or no, you go. Oh, yay! Get to the go to the Bahamas. I could do that for you. Like, <laughs> it's terrible. Bill.com. Yeah, Bill.com. <laughs> Hi, I, I know Bill. Um, no, the problem is, first of all. I'm going. I think it's at Atlantis or something. It's not like I'm not going to snorkel. I'm going to to an accountant conference to talk about Bill.com. This will be one of those conferences where there's nobody in the <laughs> in. Like you go to the conference room and there's the people on the stage and there's like two percent of the people show up in the room. If that is true, I'll be so annoyed because no, you'll go snorkeling. No, we have to, like 
No, the problem is getting there. So in order to get there, from the west coast, leave, is tough. I have to leave on on Sunday. This is to to do a thing on Tuesday. I have to leave on Sunday night. I get to Newark Sunday or leave Sunday afternoon. I get to Newark on Sunday evening. I sleep over. I wake up the next morning. I fly to the Bahamas. I get in whatever whatever nighttime that is, and then the talks the next day. But then I can't get, like, I don't know when I get back. It's the exact same thing. I fly through Houston or something. If you go all the way around the world, you get your day back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I should have thought of that. Hey, I, I, got, a, I got a different topic for you. I, I was having a meeting with a guy today, 42-year-old, very successful guy, started a company, um, 13 years, ran it as the founder, co-founder, CEO, got it up. You know, had a couple of fundraisings, ended up getting bought out by private equity, 250 employees, few hundred million in revenue, profitable wow. business, and he got pushed out because there's big disagreement on the direction for the company moving. There's a fundamental shift in technology going on, and he thinks they, they should go one way. And yeah, a normal kind of thing. And he said, you know, it's been eight months now since I'm out of there. And he said, the best advice I ever got was from another entrepreneur who had, uh, had gone through something like this. And what he said to me is, say goodbye and don't look back. Don't take a board seat. Don't try and be chairman. Don't try and have a consulting agreement. Like just move on with your life and do something new. And he said, uh, you know, it was really painful for the first 90 days, but looking back now, it's like I own shares in a great company. There's a disagreement about the future of the company, but somebody else can take care of that problem. And yeah. he's very happy that he did that because that is certainly not the instinct of the average co-founder, CEO of a company who is pushed out of the company. Usually they want to do their best to keep their teeth in. And it may be the right thing. It may not be the right thing. But he said for him, psychologically, it was most definitely the right thing. Yeah. Well, look at you know, look at what's happening at Twitter, right? They brought, announced Jack's going to be the full-time CEO, whatever, and they announced that Dick Costello is stepping off the board. If I was Dick if I was Dick and if I was Jack, that's the right answer. It's like, look, I don't need you, the former CEO, sitting on the board, and I don't need to be the former CEO on the board as someone else is making choices that I may or may not agree with. And in the end, it's like, look, go run the company. Okay, yeah, the, the new time. guy's got a question. He can always call. Yeah, he knows where to find him. Yeah, At Dixie. I, I'm, sure Dick <laughs> is, I'm, sure, I'm sure Dick is still a huge shareholder, probably, or maybe not. No, but he must. He I could mean, certainly, if Jack wanted to call him, I'm sure Dick would answer the phone. No, you know, what, you know what was very nice to see was that when Jack was made CEO of the company, Ev Williams had great things to say, uh, Dick Costello had great things to say. Krasaka. Krasaka had his, like, has been ranting about this forever, so he got to, you know, tri triumph. Are they going to put Saka on the board so he just shuts up already? Like, maybe that's the answer. All right, Saka, you can have a board seat if you just shut the fuck up. All in favor. Oh, yeah. All in favor. Aye. Saka's on the board. <laughs> I just think that's... I mean, you know, it is interesting to think, like, you're running a company that is so public, has such an impact, that there are people who are so passionate, and the product itself gives them a platform to make a bunch of noise. Like, Saka managed to get a million or however many million Twitter followers by virtue of being early and caring and being engaged, and then when he has a conflict with the company, he uses their tool against them. Or for them. 
Four four in his now. view. He's very happy. No, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's a big happy. shareholder there, I'm he's sure. He's a believer. He's very happy with yeah. what they've done. Glad that Jack is there. And, uh, you know, they made Adam Bain the the uh, COO, and I think that's the absolute right thing to do. Adam's awesome and uh, and, and will help keep the, keep the company moving. And, you know, look, in the end, right, if Jack's going to run two big companies, you've got uh, a square that is allegedly about to go public, you have Twitter that is public, the only way you can do that, you know, the way Steve Jobs did that ultimately was he didn't run Pixar. He basically oversaw it, other people ran it, he was helpful strategically, but someone else dealt dealt with it. He was more engaged in Apple. I think I have to assume the same thing will happen here. And the only question is, which one is Jack going to focus his energy on Square and let Adam run Twitter? Or is he going to focus his energy on Twitter and let someone else run Square? Like We had the discussion at our partner meeting on Monday that Jack is such a good multitasker. I've got a company he could be <laughs> he could be CEO on every every second Monday. And he's, you know... It's a little company. Like, yeah, he's got time. He can do it. In fact, we should, we'll send the company up there to talk with him. We'll just... Oh, like, he's got extra space in one of those offices. So we'll just... Put like, the company. He can walk company. by and say, do this and do that. Yeah, right. Like, hey, I'm, you know, COO could say, we've done this this we're thinking about that and he'll go yeah go left and then he could go move on right I think that's what we should do but in all fairness like that's all you and I do like we don't you know we invest in a bunch of companies we sit on the boards or we're on the we're advisors or whatever and we get to sit down have a conversation try and be helpful give a perspective and they would say, good luck, go run your company, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. the reality. We don't want to run your company. No, if we want to run a company, we go start a company. Anyway, I got this great idea for a new company. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I'll fund you. <laughs> no, we have to be yin and yang. You need two very different personalities <laughs> to do it. All right, Howard. Well, you know, I'm not sure what we talked about today. That <laughs> was... It was a rambling show. It was a rambling effort today at VentureCast, but uh, but I'm feeling good. Feeling good about it. How about you? I think it's great. This is normally we wait like three months, and this is only like one month. That's a good point. No, like a couple weeks or three. No, maybe it was one. Maybe it was one. Yeah. All right. We should do this more often. All right. This is David Hornick, and this has been VentureCast. Howard Hardenbaum also at VentureCast, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you in, I don't know, maybe a month. <laughs>